0: Hello, and welcome to One World, One Health, with the latest ideas to improve the health of our planet and its people. I'm Maggie Foss. All of us here on planet Earth are facing problems including pollution, climate change, and infectious diseases old and new. Animal health, human health, plant health, and the climate are all linked. This podcast is brought to you by the One Health Trust, with bite-sliced insights into ways to help. You can't improve things without good ideas, and sometimes good ideas come from unexpected places. In this episode, we're speaking with two people at the Aspen Ideas Festival in Aspen, Colorado. It's an unusual episode because this is an outdoor festival with lots of things going on, so you might hear a little extra noise. Lola Adedokan is the Executive Director of the Aspen Global Innovators Group at the Aspen Institute and co-chair of the Aspen Institute Forum on Women and Girls. Blair Palmer is the Senior Director for Foundation Partnerships at UNICEF USA. They're working together to try to bring great ideas from people living in different countries to benefit everyone around the world. And what I was hoping to talk to you both about is bringing innovation from the ground up. You've both got some tremendous examples of people in communities who have some great ideas. How do we bring them to the rest of the world to help improve global health? Lola, you've told me
1: some great stories. Can we talk a little bit about some of the people you've been working with? Absolutely. Um, One colleague that comes to mind and fellow and leader is Ashley Wisdom. She runs an organization called Health in Her Hue. It's a digital platform that enables increased access to women of color to connect them to other physicians of color in their communities to get better care. We all know that we're in the midst of a maternal mortality crisis in the U.S., and she has a technology and a platform already to respond to that crisis. Love her work. We also have a colleague called Imo Ituk, He's based in Nigeria, who's developed a digital platform as well. that's addressing the chronic disease crisis, a crisis that folks are really not paying enough attention to. Um, He suffers from hypertension. His family has a history of hypertension in his life. And so he realized that what was necessary was the creation of a a platform, an online platform for communities and leaders within their communities and just patients writ large to access high quality care within their community. So this enables community members to go online, name what their chronic disease issue is, and connect them to the best physicians in their community to respond to that need.
0: That sounds like a great idea. Wouldn't one weakness be if you're in a community where there aren't a lot of caregivers to choose from? I guess somebody with hypertension, high blood pressure would have to be diagnosed in the first place. So the app, however, could add
1: to the resources that people have available to Absolutely, them. and it, it helps us to get an understanding of the demand, sort of what you're pointing to, is it's hard sometimes to understand who is really suffering and from what. So at least if one knows that they are not feeling well, there is a place for them to go to start to talk about what is it that's making you feel unwell, and maybe this is the platform for you. If not, they can be redirected to the right kind of treatment that's meant for them in the right time.
0: And I'm assuming these are technologies that can be shared around the world.
1: They don't apply to
0: the country where the people live.
1: A thousand percent. Um, And so through our work at the Global Innovators Group, what we aim to do is amplify these leaders, give them the platforms, access to networks, to investors, and to other healthcare leaders to see that they have innovations in place that need scale, and they are positioned for scale. Blair, tell us a little bit about some of the people you've been working with. Some of the things that Lola
2: said resonated with me, especially around equity and access. That is key value of anything innovative that UNICEF creates, or just even you know, creating things that would make essential services more impactful. So one example I can think about, which is also relative or relevant because of the COVID-19 pandemic, is something that we call the Oxygen Therapy Project. And what it does is demonstrates the importance of a systemic approach to providing healthcare services. And in this case, it's creating access to oxygen therapy so that these healthcare services can support people who need oxygen-based therapy. This is obviously very important during COVID-19. And for example, this helped us distribute oxygen concentrators around the globe. We work in 190 countries, and this was like, you couldn't do it fast enough Mm -hmm. at this point. And so what it is, it's a computer-based planning tool that countries can map out their needs for oxygen equipment. And that's from a local district level all the way up to what would be called a tertiary level care hospital, like, you know, in a a major urban city like Nairobi. And
0: then, well, I'm just thinking it, it was a real problem during COVID, right? Finding the oxygen and getting it to the places where it's needed. Who do you have to work with on the ground to help make
2: sure this kind of program works? So it is, and talk about boots on the ground approach, it requires a whole ecosystem of people. So not only, you know, at the Ministry of Health level, does someone say that this is like, you're able to do this, but you really have to go down to like a facility-based level to figure out what's needed. And another great example of that coordination is not only oxygen, it it, it happened with vaccines, right? So the COVAX facility was created under the idea that it was a cooperation between many agencies in order to from, you know, start to finish, soup to nuts, as you put it, how to get the vaccine from the manufacturers in arms. And it was a Herculean effort. Um, Not, UNICEF was one of the major players involved in it. It was led by GAVI, the Global Vaccine Alliance. And we were able to vaccinate the majority of the world in a pace that had never been seen before. Unprecedented.
0: And the other area where innovation is greatly needed is bringing women and girls more into the equation. We can all agree women and girls have been ignored and left behind. Can we talk about why it's important to bring women and girls more into the equation?
1: I'd say one, we know writ large that women and girls are the most affected by many of the crises and inequities that we see today. Because of that, there is a multi-generational crisis that is before us that we have to start responding to. So engaging them in the decision-making process, giving them agency to decide what programs they need, when they need them, how they need them to be delivered is, is critical. And I also want to name that we're talking about the entire life course for women. So we talk a lot about women and girls, but we need to highlight the value of adolescent girls in their agency. It's such a pivotal point in their lives as, as, as bearers, of future bearers of children, um, that if we don't start to engage them in their own health and education, then we are missing out on major opportunities. I want to name a, a fellow of ours named Jane, Jane Otai. She is running the Empowerment Girls Initiative in Kenya and Uganda. And what she points out to us is that we can't, when we talk about women and girls, often in health, we talk about reproductive health. And what she's working on is actually what happens when there is an unintended pregnancy and we lose these girls from the school system. So they're dropping out and then they're lost to care. Um, And so she's created an intervention where she is able to follow up with young girls who have an unintended pregnancy and re-engage them in the, in the education system. And I name that because what in the health sector, we tend to, we're, we're the biggest voice in the room when it comes to systems change. And we forget that there are so many other systems that we need to work across and amongst in order for us to ensure the well-being of women and girls. That means working with the school systems. Working with human resource systems, working with financial systems, and working with the health systems together at the local level to ensure that we're seeing women and girls as whole people and not as one part of the sort of biological cycle. I'd also note that older women um, and grandmothers who are out there may not be in the workforce, but are still ready to engage in their communities. There's still space to include them. We work with a colleague, Dixon Chibanda. He has worked on an intervention called the Friendship Bench. Where he works with grandmothers, trains them in basic psychiatric care um, so that they sit on benches and are there for community members to come and sit with them and talk to them and help them sort of process some of the crises that they're going through. And we know that we're in the midst of a mental health crisis. So that kind of intervention, it's not technological, but it's engaging women in ensuring the well being of their communities and it's scalable. Um, So his program has scaled from Zimbabwe to London to New York and beyond. Um, because the model is so accessible and practical, and it also engages the voices of women.
0: Can we talk a little bit more about this? I love the idea of the friendship bench. This is low-tech. This is inclusive. It's got to be cheap. So how do you engage the women who are involved in this in the first place? How do you kind of recruit your friendship bench
1: counselors? It's actually not that challenging. These are women who are out in the community. They kind of recruit each other. It's one of those self-fulfilling opportunities that women want to be engaged with. And so they really kind of speak to each other and say, this has made me feel more alive. Um, Here's an opportunity for training for you. So it's one of those, again, it's self-fulfilling.
2: And at UNICEF, too, peer-based support we found with mental health and the crisis that Lola mentioned is key. You have to put youth at the center of the problem that they're facing. And mental health is not only, it is a global epidemic that we've seen an increase in mental health crisis in children worldwide go up, I don't know, something like 30 to 40 percent after COVID. And that was because, you know, children were out of school, gender-based violence has increased, um, social protection issues have also increased. And it's very hard to watch, but also create solutions when you don't have youth at the center. And that also means that's very important for youth and girls especially to be at the center of that conversation. So the friendship bench is a wonderful idea in the sense that it's also bringing in that peer support, making youth feel more comfortable because they don't have or adolescents don't have access to those essential services or they don't even know how to ask for them. What's the UNICEF version of the friendship bench? Can you use technology in some way to kind of get past having to have a bench on the ground? Well, I love the French and bench because it is an analog solution. Adolescents, especially teenagers, don't always have access to the right types of services, or they don't know how to ask, or they're not available, or there's a large amount of stigma attached to a youth having some sort of mental health issue. So UNICEF recognized this, and we created a program called You Support Me. It's an online-based platform that will allow teenagers to have access to counseling, peer support, and all types of services. We piloted it in uh, Eastern Europe and Central Asia, and the plan now is to then scale it across the continent of Africa and the rest of Southeast Asia.
0: That's something that's almost universal because every kid
2: has a smartphone, and they can just load this onto their smartphone. And teenagers and adolescents are already online, so the idea is that they're using something that they already have. And the hope is that we will be able to create an offline way of accessing it. But at the moment, it's something that they can go on uh, on their own and access the services that they may need or want. This has been an
0: incredible conversation. Thank you both for joining me. Uh, our pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for having thank us. Thanks so much. If you like this podcast, which is brought to you by the One Health Trust, please share it by email or on social media. And let us know what else you'd like to hear about at owoh at onehealthtrust.org. Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you for listening to One World, One Health, brought to you by the One Health Trust. I'm Ramanan Lakshmi Narayan, founder and president of the One Health Trust. You can subscribe to One World, One Health on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at onehealthtrust, one word, for updates on One World, One Health, and the latest in research on One Health issues like drug resistance, disease spillovers, and the social determinants of health. Finally, please do consider donating to the One Health Trust to support this podcast and other initiatives and research that help us promote health and well-being worldwide. Until next time.